This is Chill Bill coming at you live from Catro, introducing another segment of the 10th anniversary celebration of Skylanders Portal Casters. Over to you, Inklander. Thanks, Chill Bill. For this segment, we have another incredibly special guest star. We are joined by Jeff Murchie, who was a concept artist on Skylanders Trap Team and Skylanders Imaginators, working on a lot of the trappable villain designs in Trap Team and a lot of the sensei designs in Imaginators. So it's a pleasure to be able to have you on. Thank you. It's great to be here. So how are you introduced to graphic design? I've always been drawing um, wherever I could ever since I was a little kid. When I was in high school, you know, it goes way back to like Ninja Turtles and just drawing whatever came to my head. But like when I was in high school, I was really drawn to the Art of Star Wars books. And that kind of got me to understand that there's actually a career as potentially to do conceptual art. And that's the, that's my title is that I'm a conceptual artist. And then I've been working doing concept art for video games for a long time. I really initially wanted to get involved with Star Wars. And while going to art school, I ended up getting an internship with LucasArts. And that was my footstep into the industry. And uh, that's what got me going down the path that I'm on now. And it's, I'm really, really thankful for that that opportunity because it's it's really just opened up a profession where I can just be constantly be, be exploring my creative side of my brain, I guess you could say. Trap Team and Imaginators, I was hired initially, I was working as a freelance artist in Boston, and um, I had started working with Eway, doing, specifically doing um, enemy concepts for Trap Team, and then uh, it quickly turned into a full-time job, and then for Trap Team, I focused on the enemies, Doom Raiders, like, you know, the Gulper, the Golden Queen, you know, all the... Uh, the Doom Raiders were some of the NPC characters that I worked on and created as along with all the combat uh, NPCs, enemies. And then once I kind of like really learned the style, because believe it or not, like, you know, Skylanders, you know, it, it, it seems like a simpler style, but there's a lot of things you have to like learn and you have to kind of break out of your shell a little bit, you know, because like obviously it's cartoony, but anatomically, I mean, there's things like the eyes, they don't make sense. Their eyes are so big and they're so close to their lips in real life, they'd be going right into the mouth. And then sometimes their arms come out where their ears would be, you know, on the body. So there's just some weird, funky things going on. And as an artist, it takes a little while to kind of uh, get comfortable with that. And, and, and so it, there's a learning curve, you could say, there. But after building some confidence up with Eway and, and Paul and on Imaginators, I was brought in to work on the toys as well. So that was a lot of fun. Nice. So what do you draw upon for inspiration when it comes time to draw a new character? Oh, everything. I, I mean, if I could go back and tell myself and, you know, to try to like alleviate some of my anxiety is that like the more you're in the industry and, and as you grow as an artist, you kind of build up this mental visual library. When you're younger, you don't have that visual library. You don't, you don't have all those things memorized or you're not exposed to as much. And so for me, I grew up right outside of Washington, D.C. And so where I first started getting that was from all those amazing museums down in Washington, D.C., you know, the Aerospace Museum, the Natural History Museum, National Gallery of Art, all these places. And one of the exhibits that I used to go to all the time was the Art of Star Wars. And it was like all the original models, all the original, like all the props that they used for the movies, like the props, all the beautiful paintings that Ralph McQuarrie had done. So I lived really close and I could just get on the metro and go right down there. I didn't have to pay a dime because those museums are they're free, paid by taxpayers. And so that's where I started building up like what I call it, my visual library that's in my head. But I, I get it from everywhere. I get it from the museums. I get it from going to the 
zoos and I get it from artists that I love. I mean, I like Ralph McQuarrie is one that I love. I also love NCYF. And I also, my, my mom was a history teacher, so she kind of instilled some history and that, that kind of passion and love for history. So I'm always like scouring history books and, and I pick up a lot of the costume designs and stuff like that, you know, throughout history. I just love it. It's a broad range. Yeah, I think as a concept artist, there are some artists like they, they really love a, a particular thing and they excel at a particular thing. Concept artists are we're kind of called to tackle design challenges from all different directions. And so I think every concept artist I've ever known, and as well as, you know, myself, like we're just, we have a broad range of interests. You've worked on a lot of characters for Skylanders over the years. Do you have any that stand out as designs that you're more proud of than the others? They're all different. I mean, a big part of it for me is the process. Some of the designs take multiple iterations to get to the final design and some designs happen really quickly. Like for instance, I guess one that I'd be proud of is Kingpin because I mean, part of the fact is that he was chosen to be in the starter set. And that was a pretty awesome thing for me as an artist to see something that you designed and then kind of walk through the whole toy making process and then actually see it chosen and used for the, the kind of as the front, one of the, the leading characters of the game. That was really cool. And to be able to hold this toy, this 3D object, this toy that's based on a design in your hand. Awesome. So he's one of my ones that I'm most proud of. I don't know if he's my favorite design, but he's one of the ones I'm most proud of in the sense that he was one of the first characters that was like early on in the development for Imaginators. He's one of the first characters that was to become a sensei. It had a really strong reaction early on. The other one I would say would be Axe Chopscotch. I, I call her Axe Girl. Axe Girl was her, her development name. Like the first drawing we did, it was me, Iwe, and there's uh, another concept artist. He, Iwe, and I would just be sitting in a room and uh, every day for hours just drawing sketches, sketches, sketches. And for Chopscotch, it was the, the first sketch that I did, it was like instant. Like that's, we knew that that was a character that we wanted to go forward with. There were some small little edits here and there, but the base design, like the big the skull head with the ponytail and the huge axe, that was like, that was it. We knew. That would be another character that I'm, I'm pretty proud of as well. Now, in the case of Kingpin, not only was Kingpin a front runner for Imaginators being one of the starter pack characters, but Kingpin was also used in the TV series as a very well-respected, uh, very powerful Sensei Skylander. Yeah, and that was that was really fun for me as well to see him not only come to life in the game and, and as a toy, but yeah, to see him in a story-driven TV series was, I mean, that wasn't what the, from when I was designing him, that I, I didn't know that was going to happen. You know, of course, Activision decided that they wanted to pr pursue that as a another um, way to get Skylanders out there in another medium. But uh, yeah, it was super exciting. And so to see him talking and animating and interacting with other characters was super exciting for me. Yeah, I think a lot of your designs actually made it into Academy. Uh, Golden Queen, mm -hmm. Bombshell, like quite a few, I think. Yeah, so I think a couple, cool. couple of the Willikins maybe too. Yeah, so yeah, there's, it was really it was really fun. And, and it's a great series, and I was just talking recently. I mean, I've been wanting to watch that whole series with my daughter, so I'm looking forward to going through it all again soon. And one of the things that we asked a lot of the content creators back in our first segment was, what design do you find the most inspirational for the characters? And no one mentioned Kingpin, but I'm going to go ahead and give him a shout out because <laughs> I just I love it. I really, really love the design uh, just from like a graphic design standpoint, knowing things about shape theory. There's so many different triangles in here, so mm -hmm. it makes him seem very dynamic, even though he's like the, the flattest sensei on the base. Like mm -hmm. he he is really like he's not sticking out from the base that much. 
but just because of the way he's angled to the side and just everything about him, his, I guess, reversed bowling pin design also gives him more <laughs> of a triangular shape. Just the fact that he's like the flattest sensei character on the base, but he also is so dynamic due to like the shapes used on the character. I, I really love it. I look at that and I'm like, that's a great, great graphic design moment right there. Thanks. Yeah, and it's it's really fun because the animators really kind of played that up. Like in his run cycle, he is flat like across. It's just his little legs at the bottom moving. It's kind of like how penguins move, right? They are kind of like upright and you know, they, they don't move a lot of their upper body very often. And I get what you're saying. It's the thing about him. He was designed. He's kind of like the you know the Leonardo. Like if you're talking about Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, like. He's kind of the Leonardo of like the senseis in my mind where uh, he's the leader. And for me, if I'm going to like to pick out my favorite designs, just visually and just as being more interesting, I would pick guys like Ambush. We used to call him, his like placeholder name was Weed Whacker. But uh, um, Ambush I liked is, it. Yeah, yeah I, I like it too. better. <laughs> I, I, well, you know, you never know what names are going to stick and what reasons there are. I mean, sometimes we didn't always find out why marketing stuck with some. Like King Pen's original name was King Finn. That was the name I came up with. But then it changed to King Pen. And I think that's a little bit better, actually, because it's a play on King Pin and also the penguin part. And the Finn is less specific to a penguin. So I get that. But like Weed Whacker, there might have been a um, copyright issue there. You just I, I don't know. So they went with Ambush. But yeah, like he, he's probably my favorite design of the, the senseis that I design, like as far as just visually, you know, they're all fun and they're all fun for different reasons. And I think that's one of the reasons Skylanders was so engaging is that like the characters are all so different in every single game. It's not established IPs. We're our own thing. And so every single series you get like these weird bonkers characters that like you and I would have drawn when we were in like fourth and fifth grade. Right. And that's kind of what we're trying to tap into. Yeah, yeah, and you mentioned Chopscotch too. Just like I, I just I love that character too. Just the fact that she's uh, such a small character wielding the giant axe that's bigger than her. Just yeah. uh, really, really spectacular design there too. Oh, cool! Yeah, thank you. Yeah, it was, she was she's definitely a fun one. That was one of those characters that we were trying to increase our female uh, ratio because there just needs to be more. But we didn't have any female creature characters really and so she's like might have been our first true like head to toe like monster female character because like all the females before then were like exaggerated like you know head rush was like big barbarian girl or like the elves or um hex i mean all those characters were like more humanoid or near humanoid she was kind of our, an experiment but i think she turned out really fun and i think part of that was because we really played up some of her female attributes to kind of like balance the more monstrous attributes i think it's great you know you're you're combating like body stereotypes with this character too which i just think is absolutely spectacular so are there any designs from skylanders that you look back on that you wish you could change that, you know it's a hard one like i don't know if i would change anything there's there's definitely ones that are on the drawing board that never got into the game that i wish would have gotten into the game i can tell you that i, I think as a concept artist you do so many drawings and at a certain point i mean maybe when i was really young getting into the industry i would have had a little bit, been a little bit more self-conscious about designs and stuff but the more i've been in it i've just done hundreds and hundreds of character designs that you, you know you just kind of you move forward i guess you could say so if there were any that weren't as strong, I don't necessarily like regret doing those designs. I just kind of move forward to the next one, you know, and I learn from that. But yeah, I don't know if I regret any designs or have any 
in particular. Yeah, another design that you did that sadly never got a figure, but I really like is Chef Pepper Jack. Oh, oh yeah, yes. I guess it, that was one that I was bummed out about. But that had a lot. There's two, two different things about that. Like, I think a lot of people would have loved it. I think from what I remember hearing is that Activision was concerned that he wasn't exactly like, not that he wasn't a fun character, but he's a bad guy with like kind of an ugly face, right? But the villains that they ended up choosing were, for the most part, a little bit more either attractive or they were kind of ambiguous. I know there was the uh, the mummy, Grave Clobber, like he's a little bit more, you know, enigmatic looking, but like Chef Pepperjack had a lot of personality, but he was a little bit like, in a way, ugly. And so I think that in some of the tests they'd run with previous toys, those types of characters didn't sell as well. And, and the other reason is that he he was such a big character, like his design is so big that he would have been hard to package as well. That's so disappointing because he's definitely a fan favorite character for sure. Definitely. He, yeah, he's, he's, he's one fun. of my two, top two villains outside of Chaos. Oh, really? That's awesome. I'm glad to hear that. He had a lot of exploration earlier on. I mean, I, I've had a few drawings that are up on online, but uh, there's actually a lot more that, that we did for him. I mean, he's one of the characters. The Golden Queen and Chef Pepperjack had a lot of pre-production sketches and exploration. All the, all those Doom Raiders did for the most part because we wanted to get it right to get the spirit of the, the Skylander aesthetic, but also just getting characters that were just kind of quirky and that had a variety, you know? Yeah, and I've seen the Chef Pepper Jack kind of concepting art where there's some where he's like sitting on a pot and yep. some with like knives as the main weapon. Like mm-hmm. it's it's pretty interesting to see how it went. I'm very happy that it ended up with the egg beater. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't remember where the egg beater came from. Yeah, I, I don't remember how that happened. And I don't know if it was something I came up with or Iwe came up with or Alex. Because those characters, all the Doom Raiders, I worked very closely with Alex on. He would come back and tell me what his vision for their personality might have been. And then in some of the cases, he'd be like, I don't know exactly what I want. Just go go crazy with it. And then I'd draw a bunch of things. I'd give it to him. And then he'd say this speaks to me or this doesn't and then uh we go from there and in certain cases he'd have a very very specific vision and other ones he'd really relied on me to kind of fill in the blanks that's really cool yeah yeah it was really fun to hear his when he he did the voiceover for a lot of those characters too it was a lot of fun so you drew a lot of the plant and sheep enemies and imagineers did you also happen to draw the best non-playable villains in the series the barbarian and cactopus the barbarian i did he was mine the cactopus believe that had to be i think that was blake uh yeah that's blake lyons uh yeah the cactus was definitely blake lyons that's one of my favorites that he did actually i mean it was one of it was just a brilliant brilliant character and he came up with some of the the most unique and uh fun characters but yeah the barbarian was mine and i actually have never posted my concept for that guy there's a lot of stuff that i never i just can't don't get around to it but uh i'll have to do that soon that's really cool what is the process like for designing a non-playable character or villain as opposed to creating a design for a trappable villain is there any difference in the creative process yeah so i think it goes back to what i was talking about a little bit with my relationship with alex he was very involved with like the story and feel of each game and so when i worked on the doom raiders uh npcs i would work specifically with him of course i would be working with Iwe because he was the one that worked establishing the style from the get-go and so of course i'd be working with him Iwe and i worked closely all the time but uh with alex i would talk to him i would ask him to write up as much information as he could sometimes it was too early on and he didn't know exactly what he had in mind. So I would start doing sketches and I would give him stuff. And sometimes that would spark some creative juices for him as well. So it, that was like a kind of a give and take kind of relationship there. But there was a little bit more development devoted to those characters because they were more important and they needed to be a little bit more flexible 
because sometimes you see them in different parts of the game and they needed to be able to um, do different tasks. With the enemies in the game, I'd be mostly talking with like, you know, the animators, I'd be talking with uh, the combat designers, especially the combat designers. And again, that's the same idea. I mean, there weren't as many um, restrictions with those characters just because as far as their personality is concerned, they didn't need to necessarily seamlessly fit in with the story. I mean, because they were more about combat, they were more about like, I mean, they might've been like, okay, this level has to have vultures or this level has to have plant enemies. So that was basically the theme that we'd have to be designing within. But as far as the combat in Trap Team, there was, I think it's Brawl and Chain was his name. He's a walrus that has two flails for his arms and he's got like these like hooks on the end of them and that was a character i came up with i did a bunch of like pirate sketches of different animals in the skylander kind of aesthetic and then the combat designers went through and they said I, I like this guy i like this guy i like that guy and that's how a lot of those conversations start they start from a bunch of loose sketches and then they pick the ones they like and then we flush them out and then if there's changes that need to be made to more accurately fit the combat design that they have in mind then we make those changes and sometimes they were fine and they were just like let's go with it and uh with the pirates many of those pirate characters from trap team they liked them and they just they just went with them so another thing that you got to work on with imaginators was coming up with the new base design so where did that idea come from and how did the bases evolve from concept to final design in terms of the shape patterns and colors oh that process is really really complicated and there's a lot of things that go into it ua blake and i worked a lot on those at different levels blake did a lot of the early conceptual work for some of the shapes i did a lot of work on the actual patterning and like the designs of the sides of the bases but what we all worked on that was really a challenge is trying to figure out how do we make the bases stand out and be different than the ones in, in the past and the problem was is that on all the other games you know they've got those kind of translucent neon plastic plates on the bottom of every base and each game has a different color so like the original skylanders has got like a green giants is orange trap team is red swap versus blue and so anyways they all are different colors but we were running out of colors so it's like they only make so many of those colors and also for those original base plates when the portal shines into it those colors that were chosen for those early games it really illuminates the sides the light refracts and, and comes up the sides and it's a really very chromatic very bright light that comes out it's a nice effect but what the sensei is they need to be bigger so the one thing we wanted is we wanted them to be a bigger character not as big as giants but we also wanted them to have like a, a shape that was a dynamic pose and then also something that would fit in packaging. And so the surfboard kind of like shape that we ended up having, it was different than all the other games. It was a little bit more like, I guess you could say, it had a little bit more of like a high-end look, I guess you could say, a little bit more cleaner on the edges and everything. It made them look a little more sophisticated. But that shape, the surfboard shape, really allowed us to, to be able to pose those characters in more dynamic poses. And it also differentiated between all the bases that were before that. And then the top of the plate was like a matte black with a slight texture to it. That decision, we went between like a matte black we at one point we had like almost like this mylar reflective metal application on the top of it at one point but then it ended up being too distracting but yeah it was a lot of fun and then and then having the embossed elemental designs around the sides was a really fun part that i was involved in so i designed all those different um, designs and then i actually went in and, and helped that was one of my only times where i've ever really worked with 3d models and that was one of the I actually helps make and supply the the 3d aspect for those bases yeah that's really neat these bases are really cool like they they make the figures look very epic right you know you said that the, that it had like an increased production kind of value to the toy and it, it definitely feels that way it definitely seems like these are more imposing they they have more of a presence i think due to the bases that they're standing on now of course from a 
fan side of things, I think a lot of fans are kind of disappointed that the base designs changed over time, especially mm-hmm. when you think about it from the lore side of things. It's like, mm-hmm. uh, well, well, they're supposed to be frozen in place, right? Like they're supposed to yeah. be stuck in whatever action pose they're doing. And so it makes sense to have like rocks under them or, or leaves or lava or whatever it was, because it's just them fighting, but they got frozen and sent to Earth exactly that way. So in many yeah. ways, it kind of feels like these bases lose that aspect it loses like the mm-hmm. lore aspect but from the graphic design standpoint where they're symmetrical they seem to just be more imposing i like them a lot so it's it's one of those things where it's like well from the lore side they don't exactly make sense but from graphic design i love these i think they are easily the best design it just kind of doesn't mix with the lore <laughs> yeah and, and it's one of those things like i mean we were constantly thinking about you know we, we obviously we think about lore and all that as well but it, it's a constant give and take between what works with lore with the story and then the different demographics that play our game you know and so what is really best for, for the overall the big picture of each game you know and the overall ip and i think a lot of those things that you had just mentioned they were considered and they were thought about it was just that overall the thing that we wanted was to make sure that these characters when you saw them right off the bat you knew they were senseis from imaginators they weren't going to be confused with another game and so it was a way to differentiate and again with skylanders the most important thing at least from a having a business and making sure our game gets out there and people like it and want to buy things is making sure that the, the toys are king. The toys are what are driving the sales. And so the toys have to stand out and attracting people to buy them. I think the bases definitely are very cool. I love some of the patterns you did. Like the, the water motif is particularly amazing. I also really like the earth motif that you did with all the rocks. Just those are very, very, very cool. I did have a question on the undead design because that changed from bones basically like bones and ribs and things to like the bat wings do you remember why that change happened i honestly don't know why it it changed exactly i mean i did a bunch of different explorations for that and some of them had like bones some of them were like i I think there might have been like a bony arm at one point there was skulls a bunch of different designs i did and i think the bat wings was just the one that the most people responded positively to. With concept art, it's always a risk. I mean, every time you ever put yourself out there and every single time you design something, you might have one audience that really, really likes something. And then you're just hoping that people will like it once the game comes out. Ultimately, it's all artwork and design. It's like, it's, it's you're guessing what your audience is going to latch onto and appreciate. I guess one other question I had specifically about them was the fire element base is this i guess almost burgundy kind of color it's not like a neon red like you would kind of expect fire to be so do you know why you decided to go with like this burgundy instead of a more neon red well i can't remember the exact reasons i can tell you that red is the hardest color to get right when it comes to toys their reds like either get too neon and they can become really unattractive really quick or they can get too dark looking it's very very hard to find like the shade of red especially when you have there's a little bit more of like a sheen to that kind of plastic it's a harder plastic too so red is a very hard color to get right and i can't remember if that was the reason was that it was just and you only get so many tries at it when you're working with these manufacturers you have only so many tries to adjust you send them the the 3d model the pose they start making the molds in the cast and everything and then you send them the pants 
tone colors. And then what they'll do is they'll send samples back and then you see what you like and what you don't like. And then you send them your feedback. It's like all written in contracts. You get like two or three different rounds of that. And so sometimes you're just out of rounds and you just weren't able to quite get the exact color that you wanted. Like, honestly, Golden Queen was one of the hard ones for me too. Like that was one that like gold is another color that's really hard to get. And I'm not really satisfied personally, not that she's bad, but the gold that the Golden Queen ended up having in the toy was not exactly the way that I wished it could have come out. But gold and red are very, very hard to get right when it comes to toys and plastic and, and paint. Wow. All right. Well, that's cool to know because I, I, I really like the way Golden Queen's figure looks. So that, that's Oh, cool. thanks. Yeah. I mean, and, that, and it's just, it, for me, it's just like, it's, it's not a big deal, but there's just like, I wish I could have had another round or two to like explore that. And it was just really hard. I mean, Huey and I went to China to the factories that were making them there. And we were sitting around this table with all these different people that were working on the toys. And, you know, and there's this one company we're at and there's like, you know, 15 people in there and we we're working on Golden Queen. We couldn't get the gold to be right. And we'd be like, no, this is too dark. This doesn't have enough shine. And they'd be like sending people out. They'd be running back, out, running out to the factory's floors. And then they'd be coming back like 30 minutes later and they'd be mixing it on the spot, trying to get it the right color. And it was really difficult. But going to China and actually being at the factories themselves and actually being able to iterate and adjust and have feedback in real time and be able to do it like firsthand with like, we are able to get so much more work done because with toys, if we're back in California working on things and we were asking for them to change something, they have to make the changes in China they can send us pictures online, but pictures, as you know, with monitors and with taking a picture of the camera, the colors aren't going to be accurate to the real life toy. Colors and hues and chroma all shift a little bit. And so they would have to send the toy, mail it to us, and that could take, you know, a week. So some of that iteration process when we were here and there in China, like it was slow. And so for us to go there, we were actually able to get through, like cut through a lot of those slow and long iterations. And it was, it was a really, really interesting really fun experience yeah that's that's really cool what was the reasoning behind basically having the battle class symbol be like a stamp on there as opposed to actually being 3d modeled into the base as well i can't 100 percent remember but like i believe it has to do with the fact that if it was 3d modeled then we'd have to make that 3d shape be visible there would have had to been like a dry brush on top of that they have a called like a book stamp they wrapped a little cutout over the base and then they would spray that area but if you did that it wouldn't be a very crisp icon or the paint could be off just a little bit the flat icon is just a lot more readable and so when you're in the store it'd be basically quality control and be able to communicate that this character is this battle class. Ideally, I would have rather had it like a little bit of like an embossed or something and then the paint applied on top of it. A lot of times the paint's off by a millimeter or something and it, then it just gets muddied. I, I believe that was the reason why. We're trying to communicate to our primary audience, which is like younger kids from like six to 12, you know, obviously that sweet spot's kind of in the middle, but like, we've got to be very clear with our messaging. And, and so sometimes it's a manufacturing thing. Sometimes it's a messaging thing and sometimes it's both. Yeah, makes sense. What was the process like coming up with the artwork and layout for the packaging that the senseis came in? Well, I can't speak too much on that. I mean, we, we definitely were involved at some level, but that was mostly, I mean, I would say 80 to 90% of that was handled down at Activision, the marketing at Activision. And, and I do know they wanted to make something that, like we were talking about earlier, like felt a little bit more high-end, you know? I mean, one of the things, too, when you think about the demographic, a lot of those six-year-olds that started out with the first game, they're now, you know, they're older now. And so where we're trying to figure out, like, 
how do we keep those kids that started out with Skylanders at six still interested at it at 12? We always joked around about it, but it's like with boys specifically, I know there was a growing female population that started to love Skylanders too. And we tried to inject more of those female characters into the game as we went. But um, with the boys, once they hit 12, it was like all of a sudden we went from being fans of Skylanders to now competing with Call of Duty, you know? <laughs> and so we were like, how do we like market toys that so the younger end of our demographic will like it, but also the older end. And I think a lot of the packaging and, and the marketing there was aimed at like trying to appease both ends of the spectrum there. But I did not do the artwork. Some of those images you see on there, they were handled by, it was a marketing illustration company that created those images of all the characters. Eway and I did a lot of art direction on those designs, but we didn't paint those specific images that are on the packages themselves. We kind of art directed that, but I thought they were great and they were really fun and I actually like the fact that if you're a collector having worked on them I like to have the little square packages because I can stack them on each other and I can display them really easily <laughs> so I like that aspect of them yeah yeah I know a lot of fans still keep the senseis in the box because it just looks so nice and it's easy to stack them and everything like that the trap team packaging was really interesting too because what I liked about that was it still felt young like a like a young IP you know which is great but it also, I like the fact that you could turn it around and see it from all angles really easily. Yeah, I think the trap team packaging was really cool, especially for like the core characters and the traps. I love how the plastic that was containing everything was hexagonal, just like the, the traps yeah. were. I thought that was a really, really clever idea. I didn't particularly like it for the Trap Masters because those were a pain to open. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, that was a lot of time ripping into paper and trying to tear things open with scissors. You're right. You're right. Yeah. It looked great. On the on the shelf, you, you walk in and you see all the Trap Team stuff lined up. That's some good brand recognition right there. But trying yeah. to open the packaging, <laughs> different story. But yeah, I, I love that. But I, I think Imagineers really got it. Like it has the really nice artwork on the top, the backgrounds behind the characters looked really polished. You were able to see the battle class and the element on the front really easily. And just mm -hmm. everything seemed to just line up just really well with Imaginators. Just some really good just brand recognition right there. You walk in, you see the Imaginators. They're all in the rectangular boxes. Mm -hmm. You can tell what element they are by just the color changing. Just it really good really, some really good cool. packaging design so what was the best part about working on the skyliners team for me is definitely the people i got to work with and get to know every department had really really talented people really really positive people and it was you could just rely on every department i wasn't worried that like passing off my concepts people would just tackle a problem like because as a concept artist i have to be thinking about is this going to be a problem for the character modelers to model is this going to be something that's going to create a headache for the animators at toys for bob i didn't have to worry about any of that stuff every department figured out a way to make the designs work and with paul ritchie had communicated to eway blake and i like that like when making these designs the toy design needs to come first we need to make sure the toys make good toys first the game comes second which is totally backwards from like how we usually design and we do concepts for characters because most games even the games i'm working on right now like we need to make characters that work for that game because they're not making toys for that game these characters need to work in the game with the combat parameters that were given but with skyliners like paul ritchie really did not want anybody interfering with the visual design we just want the toys to feel good first and foremost and so i don't ever really remember ever having to take a like a sensei or even most of the enemies and having to go backwards and, and have to adjust a design 
to fit with the game. Like, I mean, they just figured it out. So like, I was always impressed and then like seeing it go into model and then seeing it animated and then having like the, the voiceover stuff, it was just so cool to see it come to life. And so that was really fun with about Toys for Bob. And the other thing I really liked about it is that the beginning of each project was really fun. Cause like we had like, you know, a couple months where it was just like research and development. They'd be throwing stuff at the wall. Like every game had like, I mean, I, I guess you could say a gimmick. Every game had to have its own things that made it stand apart from another game. Like Swap Force had the swappable parts. Trap Team had the traps. Imaginators had senseis, but they also had the create your own Skylander. Sios is what we called it for short. And we were really part of that process because UA with Paul early on, they were really part of the brainstorming crew at the beginning. And because EUA is the lead character designer and then I was brought in in concept, like I got to get be a part of that too. Like I was really early on part of the process of like brainstorming and that was just so much fun. And so I think that's one of the strengths that Toys for Bob had was just that they really appreciated and cherished that really early stage part of development. That's really cool to hear. And also you mentioned that you were part of the concepting for the Skylanders creator. So what was it like having to come up with all those different concepts for parts and heads and bodies and everything to let people try to create anything they want in that creator? Yeah, I mean, it was really fun. I mean, we basically sat down and we just started writing down things. I mean, there's obvious like sets that you'd want that you cowboy, your samurai, your knight and things like that. But then, you know, as you start getting through all that, like the obvious archetypes, you, know, you start getting into like territories that you're like, okay, let's make cardboard box guy set or the bathroom set where you got like a toilet for a, a hat and toilet paper for a backpack and a plunger, you know, whatever. It was really fun. And so like, I feel like at the beginning, we'd be designing all the art, all the generic archetypes. They're really cool and they're staples, but it was really fun once we started getting into the weeds and we had to be like, okay, we have to start be more creative about what kind of sets we're putting forward at this point. But the thing that was really great about it is that I've worked on many different types of character customization and there's a lot of different parts for this character customization. And the tinting system was so intricate and detailed that if you wanted to, you could make characters that, I mean, I made a character that looked like Boba Fett. Even though none of those parts were meant to be Boba Fett, but I, I mixed so many parts together and I changed so many of the colors around from what they originally supposed to be. And then I was able to make Boba Fett like a very good version of it. And it was kind of fun that like we had a system where you can make your own funny thing or use something that we designed specifically. I mean, some people just really liked a certain set and they'd gotten through playing the game. And then some people like to mix it up. And then there's other people that would just make something, a uh, assimilation or whatever of something that exists out there that's part of an IP that they really love, but they're just trying to recreate within the Skylander system. So it was really, really fun. And creating the weapons was really fun too, because we were making like dual wielding bow staffs with like cowboy boots on them and like pineapples and all sorts of things like marshmallows on fire. It was, it was, it was a lot of fun. Definitely. I have spent time in the creator trying to recreate characters like i think i've made shrek link from the mm -hmm. legend of zelda just, just tons of them yeah lord of the rings characters so yeah and that that's what's fun about it i mean that you can do whatever you want and so for me it's not a system like i know some character customization systems are very like buttoned up tight like there can't be any interpenetration with geometry or the shoulder pads or anything like that we didn't care as much about that like whenever you're doing a character customization system you have to decide what you're trying to get out of it and what you're okay with what are your limitations and what you're okay with sacrificing and for us we just wanted it to be as creative as possible and because of that like you get a lot of the, the weird funky things that happen like you make some characters or some combinations that just look really really weird and don't work at all but you'll be able to get stuff that looks amazing too yeah i just love how open it is you really can do whatever you want in it and that's that's mm -hmm. pretty great 
What was an average day like at the Toys for Bob offices while working on Skylanders? It depends on the stage of the project that you're in. I mean, at the beginning stages, it was like UA, Blake and I just go into a room and we would just draw all day long. We just take a bunch of computer paper. And you know, the funny thing is I mostly draw digitally in Photoshop on a Cintiq. It's like a Cintiq's like a special pressure sensitive monitor that I draw on. But at Toys for Bob, we would like lock ourselves away and we would just draw for like almost the whole day and just come up with these really dirty, gross looking sketches, but they were just to get the base idea down. Once we found out a really nice design, then we would move it on to the next step. So early on it was like that. And we, you know, there's a lot of whiteboards and a lot of like cork boards where we'd be putting stuff up on and discussing what works, what doesn't. And then once you move into development, we've decided what we're doing. It's working with designers, it's working with animators, it's working with a story. It's like every single day you're talking to, to a different department depending on what the needs are for that concept. So one day I might be working with Alex Ness Another day I might be working with the combat designers. But then also I always liked walking around and just seeing what other people are working on too. That was another part of it that was really a fun part of the process and seeing what is the environment team doing. As you progress further on, once we get down to the point where we're starting to make toys, there's a big portion of your day, especially early morning, where you're going into, we had a lab that had 3D printers. It had pretty much every tool you could possibly imagine for prototyping these toys. In that lab, we had a very, very high-end printer. And then we had an area like that would clean the 3D prints when they came out of the printer. They had this like almost jelly-like support material that was all around them that we'd have to clean off. But the fun thing about that was at nighttime, we would set the printer up because the printer would take a long, long time to print these toys, these like resin prototypes for the toys. And it would take hours and hours. So we'd set it up overnight. And in the morning, we'd just, we'd wake up and we'd want to get to work because we'd want to get in there, take the print out, clean it. And then you'd be like scraping off all this like support material with like dental tools, like you're, you know, like an archeologist. That part of the project was really fun because I remember when Kingpin, the first time we'd ever printed him out, like it was kind of like, okay, Jeff, this is your character. You get to clean them. And then like cleaning him and then scraping him out of that support material it was like i was getting to see kingpin for the first time in 3d and for me being the person that designed it and knowing that this character is going to be manufactured and it's going to make a lot of kids like really it's going to put a smile on their face that was so satisfying and so those moments were really fun at that point in the project those times in the labs i think are what i'm going to remember the most that's where we did a lot of the prototyping and that's where we did a lot of that early brainstorming for the projects the other thing that was cool about that lab too is we had like all the prototypes, all of like the misfires, all the weird things that like the accidents, they're all in that lab. <laughs> so like we had like, these display cases that had all these like funky experiments that were in them. Some of them could have been an idea for the premise of a game that got kind of thrown away. And some of them were just like, we got back like the toys from China and they were like, the colors were totally wrong or something like that. There's a lot of fun things like that. Yeah, that's that's pretty cool. And I definitely think Kingpin is one of the strongest starter pack characters for me, I would say. Yeah, and I, I've got him in my hand right now. I've actually got the first manufactured version of him in my hand, and they sent it back. The Pantone colors that we sent, I can't remember if it was a typo or they misread it, but his base is like a mauve or Easter purple. So they got the, <laughs> so, so I've got like Kingpin and yeah, it's, yeah, it's really funny. So I know Eway and a lot of the developers, we have a lot of like some of the, uh, the funny, like little errors that we kind of kept and collected. <laughs> so that's pretty great. So do you have any advice for aspiring artists? Yeah. I mean, I think when I was real green coming into the industry. One of the artists I really love is Ian McKaig. He did a lot of the original concept work for Phantom Menace and episodes seven, eight, nine, I guess. And so he was just an unbelievably amazing artist. And, but like, I think I got discouraged that, uh, you know, when I was young, coming out of college, going into the industry, because I was comparing myself to guys like him. 
he has so much experience and I'm, I'm still not even close to his level. He's one of those guys that's in the stratosphere. But like, I think what I would like to go back and tell myself, this is which was what I would tell younger artists is just enjoy the process and don't worry about necessarily the competition because if you do, it's going to stress you out. It's going to make you anxious and, and give you a lot of anxiety. But if you really enjoy it, like the times where I have grown the most as an artist is when I'm truly enjoying the process. And so I, I think that's what I would probably tell young artists like more than anything else and just enjoy it. Like I think some, some people get wrapped up in like how many people are seeing my stuff online and all that stuff. And I'm like, Ultimately, you're just an artist. You're just a concert artist. You're not going to be like the most famous person in the world. So if you're looking at it to be recognized, don't worry about that. Just enjoy it because you have a, a gift that a lot of people would love to have to, to, to be able to be creative on a daily basis. Just enjoy the process. Uh, that's some good advice. Definitely. As the first 10 years draws to a close, if you could say one thing to the fans regarding how you feel about the franchise and the community surrounding it, what would it be? It's a total honor to be a part of this whole process and to be part of a IP that I can be fully proud of. Like, you know, one of the things that I loved was that I could do this work and I could bring it home and my young daughter could play and see anything that I drew or play any of the games. Like that was something that was really important to me. And we have a lot of games out there that are marketed towards teenagers or, or adults. There's a lot of um, games that are have a lot of violence, but I love the fact that I got to work on a project that was more wholesome, a lot about promoting creativity and the fans that have been with Skylanders. Like they were, they, they were really faithful. I know I've had relationships that have started because of Skylanders, like, you know, oh, my son, you know, he's really into Skylanders. Could you bring him in and show him around? Could we, could we get a tour of Twitch or Bob? And that happened a couple times. And it started relationships for me. And, and I have friends because of Skylanders. And that's really fun, you know. And, it, and it's such a wholesome, fun IP. And I think that was the thing that attracted it to me the most. I mean, I ended up working on like Crash 4 and Spyro Reignited. And those are the kind of projects that I love working on. Projects that the world that I'm designing and creating within, there is like this like good versus evil thing going on. But there's a lot of hope at the end of the story. Like what you're headed towards is like a lot of hope and, and it's not overall depressing and dark, you know, and I, I love that about Skylanders. That is actually a really good description of Skylanders, actually. I've never really thought of that before. But yeah, it's like we have all these other franchises. It feels like television and everything is starting to go a little bit darker and everything, too. Mm -hmm. But yeah, Skylanders is definitely you, you look at the characters, you think about the world, the stories that it's trying to create hope. That's a that's yeah. a very good very good way to describe it. Hopefully it'll come back around. I mean, you never know. And I feel like Skylanders always has the chance to we'll see what happens. <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't have any knowledge about that whatsoever, but that would be great if it did. Yeah, the, the fans definitely, of course, want Skylanders 7. We'll we'll see. I'm sure it will be only a matter of time before Activision realizes that Call of Duty is not the only franchise that they have in their repertoire. <laughs> yep. So <laughs> thank you so much for joining us. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show. Yeah, thanks for inviting me. It was really fun talking with you guys, and it's definitely fun to kind of like reminisce too. It's a good project and a good group of people to reminisce about too. Getting to learn about one of my favorite series, it's just been an absolute pleasure. Thanks again. It was really, really fun talking with you guys. No, thank you. This segment might be over, but don't touch that dial, baby. Stay tuned for another segment of the Skylanders 10th anniversary celebration. Until then, this is Chill Bill signing off.
that would be the Skylanders Trap Team release day. That's the day that I skipped my choir concert to be able to go Skylanders hunting. Good reason. Good reason. The best reason. <laughs>